Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. We are very, very pleased to have an interesting show for you that I think will provoke uh, quite a discussion, and it's a very important topic. Joining me today is Jason McNamara, and we are going to be talking about the importance and the, and the value of having military and veterans involved in our legislative process and decision-making. I think we all know we watch the news or read email about issues directly concerning military families every day, but sometimes we also know that decisions are made on the Hill and locally that may seem isolated from your experiences. So we're going to talk today about the vital importance of increasing those with service, being in elected office, being involved in the legislative process, and even being involved in getting the military to vote. So we have two terrific guests with us. One is Bob Carey, who is Director of Military and Veterans Engagement for the Republican National Committee, and Jennifer Korn, Deputy Political Director for Strategic Initiatives and the National Director for Hispanic initiatives for the same. That's a mouthful, Jennifer. <laughs> yes, it is. Gosh, I'm like stumbling over my tongue. But it makes me tired just hearing it. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely sure of that. Just a little more background. Bob is U.S. Navy retired and was previously strategic advisor to the commander of U.S. Naval Forces Central Command. And Jennifer served in the Bush 43 White House as director of Hispanic and Women's Affairs. And they're Bios could go for this entire show, so we'll skip over that and talk about, we're going to take a step back to what Bob was involved with, and I think it was 2009, Bob, correct me when I'm wrong because this is your story, involved with increasing the ability and capability to vote among our service members, especially when they were deployed or after they'd PCS. Can you talk about the MOVE Act, M-O-V-E? Yeah, sure. It's a military and overseas veteran, overseas citizen voter empowerment act. Mm -hmm. And it basically fundamentally transformed the nature of how military and overseas Americans are able to vote. But let me step back for a second to 2004 and describe what happened to me. I was a reservist at the time and I was mobilized to go over to the uh, Persian Gulf and support Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom. And I was mobilized three weeks before the 2004 general election. Now, I was working a couple political campaigns at the time, but it was too late for me to be able to request my absentee ballot. Mm. So the, the only way I was able to vote was that I had mobilized but not deployed overseas yet. I took leave flew back home at my own expense, and voted in person. Good for you. Um, and, uh, but, but that seemed fundamentally wrong to me. So when okay. I got back from my, uh, from my deployment, uh, I, uh, and, and on the back end of my deployment, um, I was living in New York City at the time, and we had the 2005 mayoral election, which is an important election for eight, a city of 8 million people. And again, I was extended on my mobilization right near the end of that mobilization. And again, it was too late for me to be able to request my absentee ballot. Mm. So it was only because I had redeployed back to the United States, but had not been discharged yet, that again, I took leave, flew back home, voted in person. 
when I got off of when I when I was finally discharged, I said this is this is wrong. You know, the, the, the military shouldn't be it shouldn't be made to jump through these types of hoops to exercise one of their fundamental rights. Mm -hmm. So I got involved in the whole military voting issue. Next thing I know, I'm pretty much working at full time. And I'm complaining about this little known federal agency in the Department of Defense called the Federal Voting Assistance Program, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be able to provide that assistance to military and overseas Americans on how to vote. So I'm doing this pretty much full time, complaining all the time about this agency. And finally, the previous director left. And the Department of Defense basically told me, okay, Carrie, (laughs) <laughs> been a thorn in our side for long enough, put up or shut up. You better apply for this job. So I did, and I was selected. And one of the things that we said was, you know, this current system relies way too much on the postal delivery of hard copy, you know, ballots, where it can take two to three weeks for a, for, for a piece of mail to get down range, especially if it's a ship deployed at sea or a forward operating base or combat outpost where, you know, that last mile of mail delivery is, you know, you're, you're determining whether you're going to send 100 pounds of bullets or 100 pounds of mail. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the mail loses. So um, so we said, let's, you know, let us put this all online. And that's what the MOVE Act, uh, one of the major things the MOVE Act did, is it said the ballots for military and overseas Americans have to be sent 45 days prior, and they also have to be sent electronically. So now instead of taking 20 to 30 days for a ballot to get downrange, it takes 20 to 30 milliseconds uh, for someone to be able to either receive it through an email or an online download. And those are some of the major things that the MOVE Act did. Uh, I, I became the director of the Federal Voting Assistance Program in 2009. I did that through 2012. Um, and by putting together this, you know, focusing everything as much as possible through online portals and online systems, we raised the military voter participation rate by 29% between 2006 and 2010, and 25% between 2008 and 2012. So, um, you know, once you provide the military voters the means by which they can, you know, uh, vote, they will take advantage of it. it. That's impressive, because I think we all remember there was a lot of news that was talking about here we have people in harm's way and they don't have the right to vote or because the ballots weren't sent. And I mean, it made a lot of news at the time. Do you think people are aware at this point of how much this has changed or is it just taken for granted now that it's possible? Well, you have two factors happening at one time. You have a lot more troops, you know, a lot less troops being stationed overseas because of mm-hmm. the drawdowns in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but plus, you know, look, People don't report the news about when the system works. You know, people report the news when the system doesn't work. So when I was director of federal voting assistance program, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't care if I don't get any news saying how great of a job we're doing. I just want to stop the bleeding of telling us how bad of a job we're doing. And that's what we did. We, 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 we made the system work so that a military and overseas voter, you know, we tried to force as much as possible. that They have the ability to vote as if they're still back home. Which is phenomenal. And they do rep veterans, military service members represent a very large voting block. There's 1.4 million members of the military. And don't forget the military families. There's 1.1 million military dependents of voting age that are also covered under this law. Uh, oh. You have, uh, you know, there's 190,000 military personnel that claim Florida as their state of residence and another 35,000 or 53,000 military dependents to claim Florida as their state of residence. You know, that's, you, you throw in the reservists and the retirees, and you're starting to approach 300,000 voters in Florida alone. And Florida is a big battleground state. 
you know, these are, these are high numbers. And I, I think it is also very important that your effort here was not only to give them the capability to vote, but to also have a voice in the elections on, on selection of commander in chief and, and straight on down the line. How does this impact uh, working today in terms of, I know, Jennifer, you're in charge of the strategic initiatives for the Hispanic population. How does that work within the military and your outreach efforts? Well, it's very important, uh, and thank you very much for having uh, me on as well as Bob, Um, but it's really important uh, as a a military spouse, not just in politics, but as a military spouse, that our families' voices are heard. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to live on Camp Pendleton in California. Um, My husband was stationed there, and um, I just recognize that um, not everybody was registered to vote. And so one of the things I started doing is when we had all the military spouses together, especially when our guys were on deployment, I just started asking, are you registered to vote? And they weren't, so I started um, registering them and then talking to them about the importance. Because a lot of people, whether you're Hispanic, military spouse, uh, just Americans believe that their vote doesn't count. And we can, Bob and I can go through uh, election after election where, you know, 30 votes in one precinct made the difference or 150 votes in across three precincts made the difference. And so it is really important that we talk to all of our um, military family members on, uh, I know we're already serving with our, with our spouses and family members, but having that voice and making sure that our voices are heard um, is so important. And you do that with voting and you do that with numbers. Um, I always say that politicians, there are two things they pay attention to, money and votes. And as, as military families, we have the votes. And organizing within the bases, and even if you, you're not, um, you don't live on a base but close to one, organizing as a community, as a veterans community, active duty community, is important. And meeting with your elected official, going to meet with your congressman is not a far-fetched idea. It is something that we teach and we um, encourage people to go do because if you go and meet with your elected official and talk about the things that are are affecting you like TRICARE, that's a big thing for us right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefits I, you know, my husband was active duty, now he's retired so I've seen both sides of, of the struggles we have with benefits. Um, those types of things only get changed when we go and talk to our elected representatives who then actually vote. And so we go in and we try to empower the communities to be active. That's that's our job. Well, which is very, very important because I, I know that you feel very disenfranchised when you're not able to vote. Um, we were civilians living in Europe and couldn't get absentee ballots to vote. But, Bob, sorry, we didn't fly back to Maryland <laughs> to vote. <laughs> I have to say that we did not. Uh, the, in the 2010 election, there was a couple from India that flew back in order to be able to vote. You're trying to make me feel badly. <laughs> I, I had an infant yeah. 17 days old at the time that was not happening um, that was impossible you know yeah and, no that's terrific I, I think that one of the things we do see is that when you do talk to elected officials you do end up getting your points heard but I want to save that topic for the next segment because I've got a couple of questions for you that I know I hear from my caregiver families um, who are looking after wounded warriors and we are not able to sometimes get the messages across. Jason, you want 30 seconds for a question? You want to wait? No, I think we should wait until the end of uh, the next break, and then I'll I'll jump in. Okay, no problem. We are talking to Bob Carey and Jennifer Korn, talking about 
involving more people with military service to enhance the visibility and the issues that are in the military community and as it fits in and bridges the civilian-military divide. And it really is an important topic because this is one of our rights that we have to exercise and certainly the decisions made today are the ones that are making a big difference. We're going on commercial break and we will be right back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, There are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving? EFMP or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. conversation with Bob Carey and Jennifer Korn of the RNC. And Jason, while we were on break, you had a question. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think we'll I'll, I'll pitch this to Bob first, and then we can we can expand it up from there. But, you know, Bob, I want to talk a little bit about how we are educating our deployed service members. You know, um, myself being deployed to Iraq, found somewhat isolated from everything that was sort of happening back home. You know, I was obviously well aware of the current events in the global space, having been a part of that. But but how did once this sort of information was available, how how did we educate our military members in a knowing that this service was available and they had they now had the ability to actually vote, but then also finding opportunities for them to become educated on what's happening back home from the political landscape to maybe stir up some interest, if you will. So I'm interested to, to sort of talk through some of the lessons that you've learned through that process. So when I was at Federal Voting, and thanks for the question, when I was at Federal Voting Assistance Program, um, we, we, we did two main avenues of communications. First, we emailed every single member of the military seven times in the year leading up to the election, hmm. telling them about the primaries and then telling them about the general election telling them about their absentee voting opportunities, how to register to vote. I knew that I was starting to achieve our goals when I started to get some emails back saying, stop it. I get it. Go to fbap.gov. When they started to say, you're spamming me, I'm like, yep, we're achieving our goal. Um, and, uh, but the other thing we did is um, we, we really uh, did online advertising as well as advertising on Armed Forces Network. 
and we did a lot of uh, a lot of ads for Armed Forces Network, where we uh, uh, where we gave uh, voters the military and uh, and overseas uh, military family voters the opportunity to uh, understand about this. Now, every single unit in the military has a voting assistance officer, but right. it's a collateral duty. You know, sure. I used to say, right. you know, when when I was the voting assistance officer when I was an ensign, and you know, I was saying I did not join the military to hand out voter registration forms. I joined the sure. military to fly jets. Sure. Um, and so I, I really tried to shift that communications back to the election geeks like were in our office in order to be able to get the word out that, that, that you know fundamentally cared about this issue and really wanted to get that word out. And we tried to really go direct to the voter in that communications. That's an interesting point. And so pitching this to Jenny for just a second, and um, curious to, to know from the Hispanic angle how that may or have been the same or, or may not have been the same. Um, for overseas or for in, in the country? O overseas, so o overseas engagement. Well, how, how, what was your experience like, Jenny, when you were, when you were uh, a military spouse and, 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 uh, and, and, and you know, the outreach? Um, well, I mean, we, I was involved with the military families on the base, not Hispanic specifically. Here at the Republican National Committee, my job is to uh, ensure that we are reaching the Hispanic vote in the country here. So I, I could just say um, my frustration or my, uh, what I was facing the same thing, trying to get my husband to vote. And when he is in the middle of combat, how was he going to be, you know, he wasn't thinking about actually voting. And that was difficult for me. So I actually have learned a lot from Bob on how we are reaching uh, the veterans overseas. Uh, my focus here is in the United States. Yeah, but interestingly enough, right, even though um, we're stateside, right, um, families are, are torn apart, right, and they're, you know, we have groups that are serving in the military and, you know, maybe they're connected back home. Have you found there to be some easy mechanisms to engage with their communities back home, even necessarily that they weren't deployed, but they're still removed from their community? Um, how are you sort of bridging the gap of, of information from their communities? Uh, well, we definitely um, have communication via Spanish language media uh, and also Spanish language social networking. And so those are ways, I mean, it is very difficult to reach uh, people internationally, uh, but you're correct that we have people who are in the States who have families um, who are, are all over the country. Uh, so we when you're talking specifically about the Hispanic community, um, that's through media and through social networking in Spanish language, um, because that's that's an effective way for us to reach people who are bilingual, um, because even if you uh, speak English, 98% uh, of the people in the United States uh, who are Hispanic are bilingual. So one thing I'd like to, let me just add one thing. When I was director of Federal Voting Assistance Program, we changed the regulations so that um, nonprofit military and veteran service organizations are now allowed to go on base and conduct voter registration drives to augment what the base commander already has. Uh, and so for your audience members that are members of military and veteran service organizations, they should really look at that opportunity to take the, the voter registration drive and, and take it on base to, to register voters both as uh, you know, regular voters in that community, because uh, a lot of the military spouses have different residency rules than the military members themselves, and so they have to, they have to vote in the uh, community in which they are stationed. Um, or to register as a, as a military voter, which, mil which many 
military family members are also entitled to do. Uh, and, and here at the Republican National Committee, we can provide the training to those uh, military and veteran service organizations on how to do nonpartisan voter registration on base. So if any of your if any of your um, uh, listeners are, are, are members of those local organizations and want to get involved, uh, you know, really recommend they, 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 they contact us and we'll help them run a, a nonpartisan independent uh, voter registration drive. That's an interesting point, Bob. I appreciate you uh, bringing that to the table. I have a question. So, you know, we were obviously talking about, you know, military members being removed from their communities, um, whether they're deployed or they're stateside, and sort of how we're, we're facilitating communication and information exchange, which I think is very important. All of these services that sort of wrapped around the idea of the military member, um, we've talked in this show previously about, you know, the military members being stripped of those services once they leave the military. And, you know, they often oftentimes find themselves in a place where they're trying to still find their way. And so, you know, I want to shift it to the veterans for, for just a second, sort of keeping in the same theme. But, but how are we engaging with our veteran population to ensure that they vote? I mean, Bob, you mentioned some staggering numbers about um, the veteran population that's not engaged in voting. And I, I think it's important to share that again with our listeners. But I um, wanted to sort of talk through what you've learned through engaging the veteran population with help encouraging them to vote. Yeah, yeah, it's surprising. Um, over four and a half million veterans are not registered to vote, and over six and a half million veterans don't vote at all. Uh, and uh, and that's really surprising. Uh, after you know, after military service, defending the right to vote, to not then take advantage of that right to vote. Hmm. So um, you know, one of the things that we're doing uh, is we are going out to the veterans' events. And telling them, you know, there's an opportunity for you to get more involved uh, in the political process. Uh, and there's opportunities for you to get trained on how to operate in the political process. Uh, and we're not going to raise the visibility of veterans' issues in politics until we get more veterans into politics. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the 70s, three quarters of the members of Congress were, were veterans. Now only about 19, 20 percent are. And amongst the congressional staff, only about 3% of those congressional staff are veterans. Now, where do congressional staff come from? They come from the campaigns and those members of Congress. So getting more veterans involved in politics is the best way to be able to make sure that we, go, we get more veterans in, in, in congressional staff and ultimately in, 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 in Congress. I mean, don't forget, uh, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan uh, started off as a congressional staffer. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, these people, you know, people that are that are, uh, uh, you know, campaign and congressional staffers now are the future members of Congress uh, for tomorrow. You know, I have to bring up a point that I face nearly every day with veteran caregiver when I'm talking to wounded warriors and their families and the caregivers. There, there is still a huge gap on the hill with even understanding what PTSD and TBI is something that we are also very familiar with listening to. But if we are educating our veterans to become involved, it seems to me that having Congress know about these injuries, know about how long-term care it takes. We all can listen to the VA scandal on the news each day, but until you've experienced it with a family member or a friend and it becomes personal, it really doesn't resonate as much. And so when we send folks to uh, the House Veterans Affairs Committee or the Senate, the SVAC, it doesn't really get anywhere 
because there are so few people who understand it, which is, again, going back to what you say, you can't raise the visibility of veterans' issues in politics until they are into politics and elected position, correct? Correct. Correct. And, 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 but don't underestimate the secondary effect, as it were, to use a military term, of a veteran or a military family member being involved in politics. Mm-hmm. They will then teach all the rest of the people that they work with about their issues, about their lifestyles, about what their lives were like and what their lives are like now. Um, and so, yeah, I see it now in, in, in my current position. You know, just my being here has raised the visibility of the importance of reaching out to veterans amongst all the non-veteran staff. And it's also led to us hiring more veterans. I mean, we already have about 22 veterans on, uh, on our headquarters and state staffs. Uh, and many of them are OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom veterans. Um, and so uh, you know, that, you know, just the presence of veterans in political campaigns has a uh, effect of getting the word out just by itself. You know, it, it's also very important to realize that with the training service members have, you don't really need to train them to know how to take on a mission and go and spread the word, do you? No. I mean, what you're looking for, you know, a lot, a lot of veterans have difficulty uh, translating their military experience into, um, into, into certain job skills. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking for is people that can lead small teams, convert goals into definable and actionable tasks, and have a mission accomplishment mentality. Geez, I don't know anyone in the United States uh, society that has those skill sets, <laughs> except maybe veterans and military family members who live it every day. Well, and I have to give Bob some credit here. Um, when he first came on board, um, we talked about what it is that we're trying to accomplish here at the at the committee. And, I mean, he just takes everything and and goes for it and does above and beyond um, what some of the other people are doing because he just understands how to take the information and truly, as you said, this is a mission that we're on um, and go for it. And the amount, I always, we joke a little bit about how many emails I get from him and <laughs> I say, I can't, can you please re-forward that to me because I can't find it through all your emails. Um, but he, you know, and that goes for all of our veterans. I would say all of our veteran staff um, who are out there on the ground right now, they are doing um, things that maybe other staff aren't equipped to do that are younger because they understand responsibility and how to take things to a different level. Um, Perfect. Yep. I'm sorry, Jennifer, I had to cut you off. We're going on break. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. 
helping women thrive. Continuing our discussion about the value of having veterans, military families involved in the elective office and in voting and politics in general. Jennifer, I've got a question for you. It seems as though working with campaigns and working in local government or state government or even federally is a very uh, transferable job for a military spouse. Have you found that to be the case? I have. Um, you know, I joined a the uh, political world by first um, campaigning or volunteering on a congressional campaign because I really liked the candidate. And I was able to see firsthand in a very competitive race how myself and, and my colleagues going door to door talking to voters about the issues that we cared about that our candidates supported actually made the difference. I mean, the gra- you, you can have all the great media and commercials that you want, but that one-on-one conversation, meeting the voter and getting the vote out, and that is done by just talking to people and, and doing and doing the effort. I will say it does take a lot of time, but that's how I got started. And um, from there, I kept joining, um, went from one campaign to another. And while my husband moved around, I was able to use those skills um, for different campaigns because there are always going to be campaigns campaigns going on um, across the country, whether it's for city council, state house, Congress, presidential, uh, you name it, there's campaigns going on. Um, And then there's issue campaigns as well, um, campaigns that uh, we would support um, organizations for things that benefit military families. Uh, But also there's the parties. In every state, there's a state Democrat and Republican party, and then there's county parties as well. Uh, And so there is a way for spouses and family members uh, while you move around, the ability to use your skills um, when you move um, from state to state. I was just down in Tampa uh, two weeks ago at a, at a military spouse job fair mm-hmm. uh, being hosted by Military Officers Association of America and the Chamber of Congress Hire Our Heroes. And I met three military spouses that currently had jobs in the Tampa Bay area that were deploying, that were being, you know, uh, transferred, or their husbands are being transferred to new areas. And I was able to immediately, in, you know, introduce them to our state uh, party structure to look at potential jobs in those areas. You know, but that then begs the question: Why are four and a half million vets not registered and six and a half million not voting? I believe I got your numbers correctly. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, one, um, a lot of Americans just don't vote. I mean, you know, the, 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 the voter participation rate in most presidential elections hovers around 60 to 65 percent anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of Americans don't vote. Um, but uh, but usually the um, the the veteran. Uh, are registered and, and vote at higher rates in the general population. Uh, but I think a lot of it also has been um, you talked about, Jenny talked about, uh, you know, getting news stories and doing uh, paid advertising, you know, paid media and earned media. And that has been sort of uh, the focus of a lot of previous veterans' efforts. Uh, we've done a lot of rallies. We've done a lot of uh, um, uh, earned media stories, op-eds, and hope that that would change uh, people's minds. Uh, I think this is the first time that any national committee or campaign has really done, uh, a, you know, a ground game. Uh, with veterans, where we're trying to recruit the individual veteran, get them involved, 
make sure they're registered, message to them effectively, and make sure they get out to vote. And, and as Jenny said, that takes time and a lot of resources. It's not nearly as uh, efficient as doing a, an ad campaign, uh, but it's much more effective. Um, and so uh, and I think that's a large part of the reason also why more veterans haven't gotten involved is because they haven't been approached. And so we're really trying to change that. And, you know, I don't mean to, to talk about the naysayers here or put a negative twist on, on the topic, but, you know, in reaching out to some of these veterans, have, have some of them just said, look, I don't I don't want to get involved in politics. You know, I just came back from war or, you know, my family had experienced this sort of episode and, you know, we're. We don't want to be involved. That's why we're not voting. That's why we're not participating. Have you heard any feedback like that? Or has it been, oh, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for getting us um, involved. This is really enlightening. I mean, what has been the feedback there in the dialogue? Much more of the latter. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, a lot of these veterans sat around in their, you know, FOB or COP, or forward operating base or combat outposts or sit around in their space on the ship and would complain about whatever political or policy decision was being made. And then I meet some of these veterans at an air show and I say, no, no, you don't understand. This is a way for you to be able to change that. And they go, wow. And I go, yeah, and we'll train you. We'll send you through political boot camp, and we'll tell you how to do voter registration drives, how to operate data centers, how to recruit volunteers, how to canvas voters. Um, and so you can have the impact of personally changing this yourself. And so what I hear is, wow, I never knew how to get involved before. Now I think I understand. Uh, and so that's what we're really trying to, to press is, you know, look, if someone doesn't want to get involved, I'll go on to the next person. But I hear overwhelmingly more. I never knew how to get involved. Now I do. That's, a, that's such an interesting topic because I think it's something that we see as a common theme in the veteran community where we talk about even resources available to them. We've had a number of guests on the show that have you know, shown that there's a part of this process is really about educating the veterans and their families to really bring them to a place of understanding. And sometimes that battle is just bringing them to a place of understanding. And so it's, it's great to see that same theme carried out here. You know, do you think that there's more that the communities could do to help contribute to veteran participation? Or is well, this something that, that really needs to be rubbed shoulder to shoulder with veterans? Well, look, um, a couple things. There are, you talk about resources. There is a bipartisan group out there called the Veterans Campaign that does exactly this, get veterans involved in uh, politics. And they're a bipartisan uh, organization. There's a couple of nonpartisan organizations. There's Concerned Veterans for America that has a very extensive political training program. Uh, they're a conservative organization, although they're nonpartisan. And then there's something called the Truman Project, which is a more liberal organization. And they also do the same thing of training veterans to get involved in politics. And then look, here at the Republican National Committee, we have this thing called Republican Leadership Initiative, where we're actively trying to recruit veterans to get involved. And this is a six-week uh, fellowship program, part-time fellowship program, where we do all this political boot camp type training. So there's a lot of resources out there. But I think it's also important that uh, the military and veteran service organizations look at what they can do in order to be able to advertise these opportunities, um, as well as look at getting their membership involved in voter registration drives, both for veterans uh, outside the base uh, gates, as well as going on base and doing that voter registration. Because once you once you instill in a, in a, in a, you know, a 22 or 23 year old active duty service member, you know, voting, they're much more likely to carry that into their veteran status as well. Um, and so, you know, it, there's a real opportunity here for military and veteran service organizations to go on base, do that voter registration 
and, and, and get these people used to voting. I think that's an interesting topic that you bring up about getting them used to voting, right? It's, um, I, you know, and I have to admit, you know, shamefully that when I was deployed in the military, I didn't vote one year. I never spent one time voting while I was um, participating, you know, overseas or even when I was stationed at Camp Pendleton. And, um, you know, having learned about the resources and, and the participation that, that's available as a community within my cohort of veterans um, after the fact has been uh, somewhat enlightening to me and, and somewhat of an aha moment personally. But and I know that's a little off topic, but, you know, I think. <laughs> You know, but about that, and, and I'm, you know, I mean that sincerely because I think participation um, is contagious, right? And I think the, the the part about you know me being able to go and vote, and then coming back and talking to another veteran about my experience, or being able to participate in a political activity, and then coming back and talking through my experience with another veteran, I feel like there's a lot of power in that, right? And there's and you get this participation sort of um, ball rolling, and now that one participant turns into four, that four turns into eight, that you know that eight turns into six. And now there's we have momentum moving and now the word is getting out. And I think that's an interesting connection there. I just I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, and that's why that one-on-one um, approach is so important. You, Like you just said, you are going to listen to another veteran um, tell you about why it's important to vote rather than some commercial that you saw on TV or some mailer that you get at home. And that's what we're trying to create here. And what Bob's doing on the ground is building this grassroots infrastructure that is includes staff, who are veterans, but then also includes um, veterans in active duty who just want to be a just want to participate and be part of it. But that veteran-to-veteran contact is so important. When I talk to military spouses, again, it's that same contact. We have something in common. And when I explain to them why it's so important for them to vote and how they can do it, they're more apt to uh, act on that because they know me and, and we have something in common and they trust me. That's a very important point because I think a a lot of people these days are saying, I I don't want to hear about anything anymore. It's all negative. It's a mess. But it's less of a mess if you're participating in it because you can see the cause and effect. So is part of this changing people's perspectives about the importance of voting, of registering, of understanding local politics as they say, all politics are local when it comes down to it. But isn't it a matter of as you involve more people, it is a compounding effect. And therefore, you are going to impact many more people by doing this outreach and then having it compound on itself. But provided the message is one that resonates, correct? Yeah, I think, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a specific policy or political message. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be about um, a certain candidate or a certain policy position. You know, a lot of this can be, you know, get your voice heard. And the mm-hmm. only way you're going to get, we have a participatory democratic system. The people that participate are the ones that make the decisions. And so if you, you know, and, and oftentimes politics can look like a black box to a veteran or a military member. And what we're trying to do is demystify that. And then the other element of this is that, you know, they're used to a very hierarchical structure that takes a long time to advance. Politics provides for very rapid advancement. I was campaign manager for a U.S. Senate campaign. On week one, they assigned me a volunteer to be my uh, boy Friday. Week two, he was my deputy campaign manager because he knew how to get stuff done. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that a lot of military and veteran, you know, participants in the political process will really impress the rest of the political operatives and rise quickly. 
Well, it's as you say, the skill sets are there to lead, to convert, to communicate, educate, and accomplish missions. And so how do you anticipate bringing more in this one-on-one, as Jenny says, or are there other means that you're going to employ? Well, one of the ways we're doing this is appearing on your show and getting the word out. Um, And, uh, (laughs) you know, just getting the word out that there are opportunities. We're going to air shows. We're going to be rolling out our our, our program here this week uh, as part of in in lead up to Veterans Day. And it will be um, and we're going to be doing 44 Veterans Day events in, in eight battleground states where we're going to be uh, approaching veterans, telling them about the opportunities, and telling them how they can get involved. Uh, but also, you know, getting them involved through Republican Leadership Institute would be a great way for them to be able to get involved as well, to, to learn these basics. Well, those are basics, and they're valuable to be known. We're going to go on a short break right now, and we will be back. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Dynamic Woman, Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful, with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of Dynamic Women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. A while on break, I had a question, and I'll ask it now publicly. How do the voting statistics among the military match up to the general civilian population, registration and voting participation? So amongst the active duty military, if you adjust for age and gender, because the military is so much younger than the general population and so much more male, the military actually votes at a higher rate than the general population. Um, Amongst the veteran community, the older veterans uh, are registering and voting at much higher rates than the general population. But the younger veterans, especially those under 45, um, are not. They're actually registering and voting at lower rates than the general population, other than their, than their counterparts of the same age range. Hmm. And I think some of that may be because of the transition from active duty to, uh, to, to, to veteran status. And, you know, everything else is changing in their lives, uh, you know, going from a, a, a fixed job to a more variable job, setting up new households, uh, and, and voter registration oftentimes sort of falls to the wayside. And you probably see some of that same amongst the military spouses when, they're, when their spouses, you know, transfer from duty station to duty station. 
Do you want to talk at all about that, Jenny? Yes. So, you know, as uh, what I've encountered is that military spouses, their their spouse might um, re-register, but the the spouse is not registering re-registering themselves every time they move. And so, I encourage it to be a family affair, especially with if you have kids who are of voting age, because every time you move, if you want to vote in that state, you need to re-register to to um, vote so that you can, you know, vote from, let's say you're going from California uh, to Camp Pendleton to Lejeune, you need to re-register in North Carolina to be able to vote in that election cycle. And if you want to keep your registration in, let's say your, let's say California was your home state, then you need to make provisions to ensure that you're going to have an absentee ballot in time. And, you know, life gets busy, deployments happen. And so, you know, we always would put on the calendar uh, when the election day was and then count down if we were doing absentee ballot a couple weeks ahead so that we knew that we could vote. But that takes some planning and it has to be a conscious decision uh, on the families. And that's something that we try to encourage and try to help to remind people when the election is because it's not just the general election that you vote in either it's the primaries as well so in a, any given election year you could be voting twice in one year um, in some states four right. so like new york has a presidential primary then has a uh, a federal uh other office primary and then has a uh, state and local primary and then has a general election so um and and, and Part of the problem for military and military dependents is that the federal law only guarantees that your voter registration and absentee ballot request is valid for the calendar year in which you submit it. So if you put in a federal postcard application, which the military uses, in 2015, the federal law says that you need to put in a new one in 2016. Now, some states have different rules, and they let it extend for longer periods of time. But generally, you know, when I was over at FBAP, uh, I recommended that everyone re-register every calendar year and upon every overseas deployment, upon returning from overseas deployment, and every, and every permanent change of station. Uh, and I'll, I'll make the pitch for the, for the military and overseas voters uh, and, and the military families uh, the, the Federal Voting Assistance Program website, uh, website fvap.gov, F is in Foxtrot, V is in Victor, A, P is in Papa.gov, is a great portal that will send them to the individual specific state requirements for all those military and military dependent voters and the overseas voters as well. I, and I know people get a little bit like, oh my gosh, it's such a big deal. But honestly, it would take you less than five minutes to fill out a voter registration and send it in. And just, it, it's really not that much time. Um, it's just a conscious decision that you need to do it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, like I just had a friend who was waiting for base housing and they were um, out, in, out in town and she just moved onto the base need to re-register there because your ballot will not go to that home. So it's just everywhere you move, if that's if that's the place you want to be voting, you just have to be cognizant of that. Now, I'm just curious, um, because I absolutely don't know the answer to this question, but is this considered part of your, the PCS checklist? Yes, it is. Uh, and, and they're supposed to go to the base voting assistance office. But I remember, I'll be honest, when I was going through my uh, my PCS checklist, there are many things that I said, yeah, I'm not going to go there. And you think about, you know, a 19-year-old kid, let's say in the Navy, who you know goes to the chief petty officer and says, hey, chief, I need two hours off to go to the base voting assistance officer and register to vote. And he goes, no, you don't. Get back to work. 
Um, and so, I mean, th- th- there's there's the reality uh, of how things work. And so that's why I really tried, when I was over at the Department of Defense, I really tried to make it direct to the voter through the website. And, yeah, it's, it's now a wizard. It's like TurboTax for voting. Um, and you can get this all done in five to ten minutes from any computer. So, so Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot. Does this convince you that you need to register to vote? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think <laughs> – you know, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience, right? I mean, having been not only serving in, in the Marine Corps, but then also working um, in the federal government for quite some time, um, you know, it became a struggle for me to connect to the understanding of why my my viewpoint mattered, right? And I think that's the point that we're getting to here is we're, we're liberating uh, people's ideas and um, you know, giving them a voice here. And I, you know, having worked in a number of different social and public um you know, settings, I was sort of removed from the whole idea of politics because I was so tired of dealing with it. Um, but this has given me sort of a new approach and a, a new um, outlook on ways that we can, you know, really drive home some of the policies regarding veterans. And it's something that we deal with in my nonprofit all the time. And, um, you know, I think just getting the message out there and bringing the communities together, the communities of veterans, that is, um, can be a powerful thing. And, I, you know, we see that in, in our nonprofit and we see that with working with veterans. We bring them together and they get stuff done. And I think, you know, moving that into a political sort of um, conversation is interesting because politics historically is known to sort of um, delay certain pieces. And, you know, people have this negative connotation associated with um, politics and that they're not necessarily, um, you know, representing um, the people that are representing their constituents more so and you know all those sort of buzzwords and sort of um, propaganda that we hear about but the reality is that the veterans really do push the needle and can really um, get the mission done and so thinking about how this ties together it's it's given me a new outlook and I I appreciate the conversation and I think um, having the opportunity to educate our our listeners um, with things like this becomes very important when we're thinking about connecting the resources because we can build a network of supporting organizations and veteran service organizations that do certain things for veterans but the policy really drives some of these things and i think you know my experiences at the government have have shown that that you know policy drives and you know the, the community will get behind the policy whether they agree or not or disagree, that's irrelevant. They will actually get behind the decisions that are made by our, our politicians. And so, um, you know, thinking about how to bring veterans at a place where they can actually be part of um, the driver's seat, if you will, becomes very important for me. And it's something that speaks very personal. So I, I really appreciate um, the conversation today. Well, Jason, we're going to be in a number of uh, Veterans Day parades this weekend uh, in, in and around Virginia. And if you want to come on out and help us uh, register voters and get the word out to veterans about uh, what we're doing, you're more than welcome to join us. Uh, Jason's in Chicago. Oh, is Chicago? <laughs> I'm in Chicago. Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Okay. But, yep. but thank you for the offer. I appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> Perfect. You know, Bob, we have just a couple of minutes left. I wonder if you would like to summarize what you've said here, and then I would like to give out those uh, organizations that you mentioned as well before we go off air. There's four more minutes left. Okay. Uh, So first, uh, if you're active duty or uh, active duty dependent, uh, go to FVAP.gov and get your voter registration in. Get it in every calendar year. Get it in before you go on an overseas deployment. Get it in when you return from your overseas deployment and get it in every permanent change of station or when you move your residence. Um, if you are a veteran, 
make sure that you your voter registration is up to date. Oftentimes you will have moved and the Department of Motor Vehicles may have missed that you moved and not updated your voter registration. And you won't be able to vote if your voter registration isn't tied to your current home address. So make sure that your voter registration is updated. But the other thing is, you know, for, for veterans and military uh, dependents, there is a real opportunity for you to be able to get involved in politics. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, uh, veterans have been underrepresented in the political campaign world for too long, and that can change with people getting involved. We're going to be recruiting 20,000 veterans uh, nationwide for our uh, effort here at, at the Republican Party. Uh, and there are many organizations out there that can help you get involved in po uh, politics. Again, that's the Veterans Campaign, which is a nonprofit uh, uh, bipartisan organization, uh, Concerned Veterans for America, uh, uh, a nonpartisan conservative, uh, conservative organization, the Truman Project, which is a nonpartisan uh, liberal organization, and, uh, and then the Republican Leadership Initiative, which is a six-week fellowship open to uh, any veteran uh, or military dependent uh, that wants to learn the grassroots of, how, uh, of politics and basically go through a military uh, boot camp. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to follow up on that? Um, well, I wanted, why don't you give the website so that how they can find out about RLI? If you go to www.gop.com and you, you click on the button about getting involved, it'll give you all the information about Republican Leadership Initiative. From my perspective, I would just say that I encourage military spouses to get involved. One, make sure you're registered to vote. Two, talk to your military spouses uh, and see if they're registered to vote. And then if you are interested in politics, this is a great profession to get in. I started, knock, like I said, knocking on doors, volunteering, uh, ended up working for President Bush in the White House uh, as a military spouse, and it was one of the greatest honors that I could, especially while my husband was on deployment. So we already sacrificed so much. We need our voices to be heard, and please know that every vote counts, and when we organize, we're even more powerful. You know, I think we've talked more about the opportunities that are available um, to our military families, dependents, uh, service members, and veterans, but I think there's also a need. And what you've done today is, I think, outline some of the needs where voices do need to be heard before anything can change. And so by being involved in any of these organizations, by registering to vote, by making it a priority in your household, you become part of the plan, not the plan being done to you. And so I hope that we've been able to convey a lot of needed information today that will help people realize how voting is a right, a privilege, but it's also needed if you want to have a voice in your community. Anything left you'd like to add, Bob? It's a responsibility, you know, right. we, you know, and, and it's a responsibility that veterans can probably, veterans and military families can exercise very, very well. Uh, and they have an opportunity to show, you know, how and, and leverage the skill sets that they've learned over the years that few other Americans have. Well said. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope we've been able to shed some light on a topic that is really important to all of us. Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.